Welcome again to the Southwest Climate Podcast. Did we already leave the 2023 monsoon behind? Did it exist? What happened this year? Was it generational? These are the questions that Mike Crimmins is going to answer. Mike, oh, how you doing? Man. Hey, Zach. That was some good enunciation. I was impressed. <laughs> Did I set you up for uh, questions that uh, are, are are both provocative and ones that may make you uneasy? Unanswerable. Those are always the best ones that you ask me. I appreciate that. How you doing? You feeling good? Good. I'm feeling good. So we got a double punch of storms yesterday, and I know that you were watching kind of jealously from the southern si- southern side of the town. But I I couldn't believe it. I hadn't. I can't remember a double punch of storms during the monsoon at our house in, in quite a while. Yeah. So maybe this is a little bit misleading because I'm going to say something similar. And I think overall the monsoon's been blah at, at, at is maybe the best way to say it. Um, but yeah. I think a couple weeks ago we had like a half incher at like 3 PM and then another half incher at like 8 PM. And I had never experienced that either. So it's like, that yeah, is totally rare. rare. I know. And I remember you and I were chatting during that storm because I went out for a walk to do some storm chasing because I saw that storm just line up. And I I literally saw it come at us and then take a left turn around our neighborhood and head towards you as though it was some <laughs> kind of like weather control or something. It was very, very maddening. And so, I know yeah, you, this, were this month you were angry. Been, I was like, wait, I was yeah. happening again. <laughs> no, I, I was a little bit of a crazed lunatic that evening at my house. It was not a great, a great feeling. But I mean, that's been, this monsoon has been, it's not 2020, like, doom, but it's been maddening in a different way. <laughs> so let's get into that. But, but, yeah. but first, what, how many, um, how much rain did you get last night? Uh, we so the oh man, these are such interesting storms. We were we were talking about earlier in the day. Very dry atmosphere seemed like it was going to be tough to go, and the first storm popped up, very small, east side of Tucson, all wind. Man, it, it was trying to that dry atmosphere, big inverted V sounding, and we got it looked like it was raining cats and dogs, and we got a quarter of an inch. <laughs> and so I thought, huh, it's not bad. It's not bad, not bad at all. But the second one actually pushed us over three quarters for the day. So it was another half inch Wow, on that one. And it was, it was the, it was a rim shot. I mean, kind of a, kind of a mediocre, you know, line of storms coming off of the Mogollon Rim down into Tucson, but um, it's really impressive winds, really impressive. Let me stop you there because I want to come back to this storm because it was interesting at my house too. And I just have some questions about what the heck happened. Yeah. Yeah. it Um, It was such an interesting event. Yeah. So we'll come back to that. All right. So what what we've got today, and this is the end of August. So we're we're pretty much two two months, two of the three months, two of the three monsoon months, if you will. Yeah. Um, I guess if you count June, we're a little more than that. Uh, the warm up, the warm up period. Yeah. We're definitely further along in the monsoon than we have to go. So. Um, we have a lot to talk about. And the outline uh, will go something like this. Uh, we can de- deconstruct the monsoon to date, Mike, as we always do. I uh, want to spend a little time thinking about analogs. What are some years? I'm curious what you think are some years uh, in the past that have sort of unfolded 
similarly, we you, you mentioned a minute ago, 2020 as not being an analog. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, let's unpack the event of the summer, Hillary, tropical storm Hillary that actually hit landfall as a tropical storm, which is very, very rare. Uh, and then um, let's talk a little bit about what we might expect in September. And in particular, it's the month that sees the most frequent tropical storm activity and how tropical storms might change or not um, our monsoon season. Um, and then I'm going to end, Mike, putting you on the spot with a September prediction and a winter prediction. Ooh, thanks, Zach. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't uh, prep you with that. So we'll, we'll have you thinking about that for the next hour. All right. So let me, let me set the stage for deconstructing the monsoon and, and give the overall uh, picture. Um, so uh, as we all know, the monsoon arrived late and it's basically disappointed since, you know, across the Southwest. So it's spatially and temporally, it's been a, not a very active monsoon season. And this maybe is perhaps not surprising given, just seemed like we were due uh, given the last two years where we were sort of, uh, what's the word? Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word here, but we, where we were given uh, uh, quite a pleasant surprise. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the conservation of doom. Like, you yeah. can't have too much good stuff before doom catches up with you. I think it's an actual scientific law. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I would state it more like in systems of high variability. It, it, it seems like... Uh, can't you know, vary in the same exceptional, direction. <laughs> exceptional streaks are few and far between. That's I don't know if that's actually a statistical law, um, uh, but it seems like it seems like something that uh, that that would happen. Okay, so you know, if I'm looking at you know a spatial map of the percent of average rainfall across Arizona and New Mexico, and for the most part, it's it's all below average, with the exception of a few places, maybe in northeast Arizona, sort of like a like slightly north of, of, of Flagstaff, and then on the western margin of the Arizona-California border, which shows the expression of Hillary, you know, and then, you know, all the way over New, Me New Mexico is categorically below average and much below average. And then you go up into sort of uh, southern Colorado, and there's a, a some expression of, of above average rainfall there, but it is a very it is a very dry picture across the south southwest. So maybe a little bit more statistics uh, at different rainfall stations. Surprisingly, actually, Tucson, the airport at Tucson, is one of the stations that's faring better than all others. But I think that's a little bit misleading because when you look at and I'll I'll talk about this in a minute. When you look into Tucson, the metro air area, you know, the the airport is a bit of a mirage, but the at the airport, it's about average to date. Um, Nogales station is about 50% of average. Safford is about 50% of average. Sierra Vista is, you know, it's received a little bit more than two inches. They normally get seven inches. Can't do that average on the fly. Um, Wilcox, like 30% of average, Picacho Peak, you know, across this southeastern Arizona, it's with the exception of uh, of Tucson with those stations is much below average. 
um, sort of central Arizona. I mean, Phoenix has just had a, a tiny bit. Um, Gila Bend has had zero. Globe, you know, at this date, it, it, it on average receives about five inches. It's received a little more than a half inch. Um, Apache Junction, sort of on eastern um, Metro Phoenix areas, has been much below average, uh, and so on and so forth. You go up to northern uh, Arizona, the Flagstaff area, Flagstaff's four inches. It, it's normally received a, a little under six, so about 60, 60, 70 percent of average there. Kingman, again, in that north uh, west corner, uh, has been a little bit above average, probably boosted quite a bit by 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 Hillary there. Prescott below average, Sholo below average, uh, and Winslow are, are around average. Again, like this is um, some of those stations, uh, there's a lot more that we're not talking about. Uh, I think everybody gets the picture. Um, not a very good monsoon season. Some places not as bad as as others. If you're in Phoenix, right around the airport, sorry. And Tucson, for the most part, sorry, sorry as well. And just one one other fine point before I turn it over to you, Mike. So the airport, you know, it's a little over four inches. But when you look into the metro area, and I'm looking at the Pima County Flood Control District, which has you know 100 stations strewn about uh, uh, around Tucson, you know that's one of the higher recording stations, you know, in the sort of lower elevations area. So, you know, central Tucson, anywhere between two inches and three inches, even in the foothills around two inches, out east around three, three and a half, you know, so, you know, it's been drier than average for the most part around the metro area. I want to also bring out this point. One of the gauges on the top of Mount Lemon, high elevation to date has received about eight inches of rainfall this year. I looked at last year's, you know, you know how much they had received between June 15th and, and August 31st last year. You told me, so I don't, it's 30 uh, inches. I did tell you, didn't I? Forgot I did that. <laughs> I wish I should have just said, you well, should have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 30 inches. So, 30 um, inches. you know, that gives a little bit of a flavor of the, uh, of, of the comparison. I don't have the statewide ranks for August because August is not completely in the books yet, but July has been drier and warmer than August has, but August has still, um, you know, been, been below average for, or been above average for temperatures and below average for, for rainfall uh, for the most part in July. So the statewide precipitation uh, uh, was third driest on record. And New Mexico was fourth driest on record for July. For temperature in July, it was the warmest on record for Arizona. And give me one second here. That is an eight, second warmest on record in uh, in New Mexico. So there you have it, Mike. Can you sugarcoat <laughs> that in any way? Uh, well, no. I mean, I, uh, I'm trying, I can add some flavoring to it. I don't know if it'll be like, sugar flavoring to it but yeah it's, it's you look across Sevilla? all that station data yes oh <laughs> that's terrible man yeah but it is low calorie or no calorie the um the places that have come close to average have been it's just like this monsoon's a mishmash of small events that have stacked up in some lucky spots right so that so we've had very few of any 
widespread um, heavy rain events that have moved across the region and instead have been when the moisture is mediocre and you get some clusters of storms pop up and then you get a station in the right place, they stack up and can get you to near average. I mean, that's, I mean, Tucson, that's kind of the airport has been lucky because as you pointed out, Zach, there's plenty of places nearby the airport in Tucson that are below average and only a handful that are um, above what the airport is recording. So it's not like there's huge spatial variability on the wet side. There's huge spatial variability on the dry side and suggesting that some of these areas that have squeaked out near average are actually kind of lucky rather than the norm. And, yeah, it's just um, it's a good reminder not to go off of one station in the monsoon season because like if if all you were doing was looking at the Tucson airport, you'd be like, ah, it's not bad, you know. I hope yeah. hope history like you know has a, a a wider view. Yeah, I mean, and we're doing better with the gridded data for all its problems. Um, so I I pulled up the the climate perspectives map, the one that the regional climate centers have pulled together. And so looking at the past 60 days, so this would be June 30th through August 30th. So it's it's pretty much the monsoon season. It, it's just to prove your to put a little finer point on what you're talking about, Zach. It's the Tucson, the Tucson value is at the 52nd percentile, which is you know right around the average. If you go down to Sierra Vista, so the southeast part of the state, so Sierra Vista is at 2.32 draw, three, 2.32 inches, as you noted. That is the one percentile. It is the driest on record for the last 60 days for that station. But if you go about 10 miles south to um, the Coronado National Monument headquarters, they've had 8.38 inches and it's the 29th driest. So it's the 47th percentile nearby there. And so I'm assuming that this these stations have complete records and that suggests that they do. But I mean, it's huge spatial variability but this map has a lot of ones and twos on it, meaning driest or second driest or third driest. You know, Albuquerque, uh, um, second driest last 60 days on record, but not too far away. There's actually been some rainfall, so some high spatial variability. The only like places that are above average are um, you, if you go to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, uh, they have actually had 5.43 inches and they're at their 76th percentile, which had to do with some kind of early. So in the beginning of July, there was actually still kind of spring storms moving through the northern part of the state. That was part of that. They also got a little bit of the moisture from Hillary. And then if you go over to like Las Vegas, they're at their 75th percentile, 22nd wettest, uh, at a value of 1.16 inches. <laughs> that puts them at that that value for um it's a half inch above average for this last 30, last 60 days. So yeah, it's, it's rained. It just hasn't rained everywhere very often. <laughs> Maybe it's the so, way, the way I'd say this monsoon has worked out so far. Okay. So you were just looking at the, the climate perspectives map for July and August, correct? Just to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yep. June 30th through August 30th. Right. Yep. So I'm now like looking at just the last 30 days. So just in a way, thinking about the difference between July. More recent, yeah. Yep. So, yeah, and there's still quite a bit of, you know, in the last 30 days, there's still quite a bit of low percentile, so, so really dry conditions. You know, the Tucson, at the airport, in fact, it's actually, they've received the international airports three inches, and that's like 
uh, an inch or a little bit more than an inch uh, above normal. So, so thankfully for, for August, August. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few other places like down close to Nogales, Hereford, they've received quite a bit of, uh, of rain in August, you know, up near Flagstaff as well. So the, the point here is August was markedly better in terms of rainfall than July. And a lot of the, the data that you were um, reporting on is reflects a very, very dry July. So what changed yeah. between July and August? Yeah, so the I think we talked about this last month, but yeah, July was record dry for most of the Southwest and record hot too. I think we we can't we can't diminish how record breaking the heat has been over the last 60, 30, 60 days. And even in, even into as it started to rain in August, it's still been very hot across the Southwest. And so we're crushing previous monthly records and station level records by several degrees rather than just edging out, you know, a previous record. So that, that I think is something that we'll still have to kind of drag into the forefront here because it's definitely part of the story of this monsoon, you know, even hotter than 2020 when it was so dry um, in a lot of these locations. So August, um, the, in July, we had the really sluggish uh, northward progression, not even sluggish, it just kind of stalled out progression of the subtropical ridge. And that that parked over top of us, that limited the moisture, put us underneath the sinking of the high pressure system, clear skies, not, not bone dry humidity, but not enough really to do anything storm-wise and, you know, limited storm activity. So, I mean, that, that was just did it over and over again. And it was only the far southern part of the state that could squeak out any storm activity. It was pretty limited northward. In August, the high pressure system started to, to kind of get knocked around a little bit. And whenever it would be able to move off to the northeast or the east, we would get into some better southerly flow for Arizona. And really, there's a difference here between Arizona and New Mexico. New Mexico really has not had a lot of great opportunities given where the high pressure system has been and has had very limited moisture um, to to speak of because it's been so dry in Texas and there's been such limited moisture out of the Gulf into New Mexico. But when the high would get in a good spot for Arizona, it would usually be in a bad spot for New Mexico and it would open up some southerly flow and um, introduce some moisture into Arizona. And then we, you know, we had events like Hillary as well, which were um, a contributing factor to some of the precipitation in the southern part of the state, not much, but really led to more of the precip that we saw in the Colorado River Valley and across the northern part of the state. So it, it really has been the tropical influences uh, that have led to most of our precip chances so far this season. So quick question, though, I'm looking at the Tucson Airport dew point, so a measure of the moisture in the air. And for the most part, you know, the dew point started to creep above average. Really, the first day was not until, and we've talked about this before, but until July 9th. And then it crested above average there for a few days. And then dropped again below below average and hovered around average uh, for the rest of the the month. Um, and then in August, 
you know, it's been more variable. So it looks like there's um, a few days uh, in early August where there was a break. But then, you know, beginning around, you know, the mid mid August, there's been quite a, you know, a two week period of consistently above average moisture. And so I guess like when I looked at this, I'm like, well, like the moisture, I would have thought that there might have been more rainfall than we otherwise got just by looking at the fact that there was, it wasn't like if you go back to 2020, like it is just it's just all below the dew points are all below average for the most part, right? Like by and large, way below average uh, this year. And consequently it was, it was really dry in 2020, but here we've had moisture this year, we've had moisture and just not that great of a system. So I guess I'm, I, I'm wondering, you, you sort of alluded to this. It's like, oh, there's been these spotty storms that have popped up, but nothing widespread. So, so there've been others, you know, like the, other conditions that have sort of not favored more organized storms and and that sort of thing that we can pull on. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's, it is really interesting. It's also, it's where the dew point really is like, it's a mediocre metric, right? And we've talked about this for a decade now, right? Kind of argued back and forth. And it's funny if you were to kind of do, do some really rough correlations between like, average dew point and average precip at the at the airport this would the dew point was pretty average and the precip has been pretty average right so it's almost like kind of it's kind of worked out but probably not for the the but let me jump in there on that yeah 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 because i'm thinking i'm thinking to myself and correct me if i'm wrong on this that like yes like this dew point measure is a spot measurement Uh but it's a little bit more spatially consistent as a yeah than rainfall yeah it's not fair to to i made a kind of a false equivalency there right the the dew point should correlate to activity in some respects and so you're kind of asking well why hasn't it been more well it's possible that this is this is as much activity as you'd expect with a dew point at that level it's also so one of the issues with the dew point is that it's a it's a surface level measurement we're using the daily average and the daily average is good because the dew point can vary. It can vary quite a bit throughout the day. It can be high in the morning and low in the afternoon as it mixes out. So the average is is helpful for that. You know, the real metrics to get at this would be um, precipitable water, which is the column integrated measurement through the atmosphere, which will tell us a little bit more than the surface dew point. And so the, the factors that have, so with mediocre, surface dew points, why wouldn't we have seen more activity? It's really been the 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 factors, especially across southern Arizona, that have limited, and it's really across much of the southwest, is that position of the high has been um, unfavorable. It's been overhead, largely, or over the central Arizona, or even over kind of parts of central Arizona or parts of central New Mexico, instead of being it's more favored position off to the four corners or even off to the northeast is that leads to warmer than average temperatures in the middle level of the atmosphere. So the lapse rates are poor, you know, so a little bit of moisture at the surface um, runs into um, warm levels in the middle of, middle of the atmosphere. And so we, you know, we're going to drop the skew T word and that kind of stuff, which I know is kind of hard to visualize on a podcast, but 
you can visualize days where it's very hot out and it's kind of humid and you'd expect it to be a stormy day. But if the clouds look kind of shaggy, that means that the cape is weak. It means that there is rising air, but the, the days with really large amounts of cape, meaning that there's large amounts of convective, convective available potential energy is the days where the, the clouds actually have that cauliflower look on it. They have the real hard edges to it. And you can almost stand there and watch it kind of bubble. That means that there's tons of energy being released and it's bubbling upwards, right? The weak cape days are when they look kind of cotton candy-ish and they get kind of tall and they get shaggy and then they fall apart. Those are the days that we've seen a lot of. The even worse is, is when you see the clouds start to form and they get a flat top on them, but it's not very high and the clouds look like pancakes. That means that they've actually run into a temperature inversion, you know, up around 500 millibars or, or um, 400 millibars. And that's actually a subsidence inversion. And you get that when the high is overhead, warming the atmosphere. Let me, that's great. Let me, let me, let me add some thoughts to that. So basically your point is that warming mid-levels as a function of the position of the 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 high warmer yeah. mid-levels has prevented convection right because we you we haven't had as steep of gradients like it hasn't cooled fast enough as you go up and up up in the atmosphere because the the middle levels are are, are warmer so if they were cooler you would you would you would generate more convection right this convective available potential energy is a is a is a measure of the energy available to generate convection, right? And that's yes. a function of these thermodynamics that you just talked about, which relate to the relate to the temperature. It's not the only thing it relates to because moisture is also an important part of this, but it relates to the temperature gradient as you go up in, in, in the atmosphere. So, so not as steep as a gradient, temperature doesn't go down as fast, limits, yep. limits convection, um, and if you have moisture available, more limited convection, convection will generally mean less widespread or less rainfall. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the mountain regions always can do, they always have more cape, uh, more, more convective available potential energy because they stick up in the atmosphere and they can generate a steeper lapse rate, right? So, so you, you always have better opportunity for storm activity. Um, all the time if you've got the moisture with topography and then topography can be a can be a mechanism to actually generate outflows which can drive more convection dude it's like trying to get it to rain with a high pressure system is a terrible idea right so it's like the, the, it's the whole thing of like the monsoon is an insane proposition anyways right it's like a thunderstorm season that occurs with high pressure you're like that doesn't even make sense and that's kind of what we're always struggling with with the monsoon that I've actually never thought of it like that. That's great. You're right. Right. Totally yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. it's weird. It's like, it's, it's a fun, you know, the high pressure is a function of, of uh sun angle and land sea air temperature difference and all the topography across the, the West here and heating under the sun and, and this tropical air mass kind of working its way underneath it. And then it just is like a mess then of like where and when it rains. It's like, that's the, that's the monsoon in a nutshell right there. All right, quickly, because I think this relates. So I just want to spend a little bit of time thinking about a particular storm. And so last night, 
you had mentioned that there was sort of like this rim shot, which you can explain in a, in a minute. But last night I'm looking at the radar and there is a curved line of storm heading toward, I live in central Tucson. Uh, sorry, I live close to downtown Tucson. So there's this large curved line of storms heading our way. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Like I'm, I'm estimating 15 minutes, you know, talking to my wife, getting my my little <laughs> little toddler fired up about it. And then I keep watching it and then it like totally disappears. And 15 minutes after it disappears, it pops up like, you know, a mile, you know, beyond, uh, beyond uh, uh, downtown Tucson. And, and there it is again. And so what the heck happened there? Uh, it just like, All we got was wind and like one little drop of rain. My, my son was so excited because I had ramped him up, amped him up. Like what, man, what, what was going on feel with your that? Pain. Totally feel your pain. Yeah. So Last night was a classic example of outflow-driven convection, right? And so the skew-T, we're dropping this word like everybody knows what we're talking about, but it's a thermodynamic diagram. So when when the weather It's the most complicated diagram, I think, science has to offer. It's insane. I had a whole class on it when I was undergrad. Like, that's all we did for a semester was study this thing. And it still is a a sticky thing. But so across thousands of weather service stations across the world, twice a day, there are balloons launched, right? And so in in the University of Arizona campus, weather service is there, top of the ENR1 building, four o'clock in the afternoon, you can go out, just stand in the parking lot, you can watch somebody will will launch a balloon. So that is getting the, the temperature and humidity up through the atmosphere and the atmospheric pressure. Okay, so that's how, Zach, what you're talking about is like, how how rapidly does the temperature cool with height? That's how we know. And how does the moisture change? That's how we can actually get, one of the ways we can get precipitable water is measuring the column of the atmosphere. So last night, when we were chatting earlier in the day on Slack, the the sounding from the morning came back and it had a very dry, low atmosphere, meaning that the, the surface temperature was gonna be very hot and the dew point was gonna be very low. So that, meant a very low relative humidity. But as you went up in the atmosphere, it cooled. And if you dragged that same amount of moisture up into the atmosphere, it was probably going to be enough to form a cloud and maybe to get some some rain out of it. So it's it was something called conditionally unstable is one of the ways you can talk about these um, these soundings. So when you have thunderstorms in the monsoon, the some of the storms will form over the mountains first. That's because they have the easiest time. And then the rain and the cold air comes out of the storms and it hugs the ground and then it spreads out and it acts like a little cold front or a wedge and it pushes air up. And if it pushes air up enough, it can force new air to rise, form a new cloud, release energy and form into a new storm. And so that we rely on that mechanism in the valley locations in the monsoon, like all the time. So the sounding suggested that the outflows would be strong and deep. And that's actually what's been the characteristic of many of the storms this monsoon season. So Tucson had a a very damaging wind event, two actually damaging wind events in July, which were because of that same thing. They're, They're dry microbursts that maybe sometimes turn into wet ones, but dry largely because they produce so much outflow wind. So last night, the the storms were forming and sending their outflows 
into a direction. And sometimes the outflows can go so quickly that they'll skip over you. Like you felt that wind and it was not enough time to actually form a cloud <laughs> over you, but it was enough time and it reached into some better cape in a different spot and pop up a new storm. But if you remember, Zach, on the radar, there was kind of a big ring of storms yeah. coming. And that was the outflow driven line of storms. And the outflow, I think, just petered out. It wasn't strong enough by the time it got to you, but converged with a couple of other outflows and, and sprung up some storms just downstream. So the fact that it's curving, like the curve, like on the sides, the the edges are leading, like that's mm -hmm. that's distinctive of the outflow. Yeah, so it's, yes. It's not yep. like they're they do these jumps, right? No, no, they're they're contiguous. Like I think that, and again, you got to think of they're really they're complex. But I, when I think of them, I think them simply. You know, when you if you pour water on your counter, right? So at the point you pour the water, the water hits the ground and it starts to spread out. And there's a there's an interface right between the water on the counter and then the front edge where the where it's spreading out. Yep. And it's curved, right? It's got the surface tension there. Uh -huh. It's very similar in the atmosphere, right? So it's cold air is like water. It's heavier than the surrounding air. It hits the ground and it's heavy and it's spreading out and it has a curved edge to the front of it. And that curved edge is now forcing warm, hot air, warm, moist air in front of it up because it's being displaced by the, the leading edge of that outflow. And so and it spreads out in every direction. So it's it's got a kind of a circumference or a round edge to it. And it's interacting with topography. It's interacting with other outflows. You know, so you can think about all of that complexity kind of aligning itself. And then I'll always go out in those situations and look right above my head to look to see if the clouds are, if they're kind of chaotic and they're swirling around, it usually means that you're not gonna get anything. But if they've got a, a really heavy flat edge on them, and they're dark, that means, okay, the outflow is turning into an actual convective tower above you and it's actually gonna turn into rainfall. So it's been great for cloud watching and, and trying to see if these storms are gonna form and where they're gonna form. With that flat edge, would that be like a shelf cloud? Yes, yes. A shelf cloud is a, is a really good um, visual of an outflow. And so the shelf cloud is the, um, the shelf cloud is the cold, wet, air of the outflow running into the, the dry air of the uncondensed rising air on the front edge of it. So it's it's an, it's a visualization of the um, outflow boundary. Cool. It's so right. cool. Yeah. Yep. Um, fantastic. Thanks. Uh, so maybe a little bit about, you know, we talked about July and August being a pretty bleak picture. And I, I just want to get your thoughts on, think about like, well, do we have an analog for this in, in the past? So, you know, I did a very crude version of this just by looking at spatial maps and, 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 and kind of trying to figure out like, well, what in the past, what years in the past um, looked similar to what we've got today. And I'm curious, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to throw four at you. And uh, I don't know if any of these are the one, same ones that you're thinking of. And if you're not, like, I'm, I'm curious about what, what you're thinking of. Okay, so, um, and these all have the same pattern for the most part. I mean, there's some nuances to them, but the pattern is actually fairly easy, which is like, it's below so average, everywhere. that's below <laughs> average pretty much everywhere, you know, with the exception of the 
of the far west of the, the border of Arizona, California, but like largely that's like a Hillary kind of expression. So I just sort of discount that because that's uh, um, not all that uh, uh, common. So I've got 1989, I've got 2001, I've got uh, 2019 and 2020. I'm throwing 2020 in there. You sort of discounted 2020 already, um, but 89, 20, uh, 2001 or 2019, do those stick out to you or do you have a different, uh, different year in mind? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm stuck on 1997 summer and I've been kind of, uh, trotting that around even before the season started. And it's mostly because of the I was using it as a potential analog because of the formation of a strong El Nino event. And I'm still, I'm still feeling pretty good about it. And the thing that, that I liked about 97 that has come to fruition this year is that there's a, a strong or large um, precipitation anomaly or above average precip in the, in the Western part of Arizona along the Colorado river Valley and reaches up into Northern Arizona because of, because of Hillary largely. And so it, there's another aspect here too, is that when we were talking about this kind of preseason is that in 97, July was very dry across Arizona, New Mexico. And then the activity started to pick up through August. And that's largely what we've seen this year as well. And so I think that, you know, that's different than some of the past, like 2020 did not have any tropical influences very dry as you went further north and west through the southwest and here it's kind of a mirror opposite where the wettest conditions we've seen and cooler conditions have been over um, the western and northern parts of the southwest and it's been drier as you've gone into new mexico so it's kind of a little bit of a mirror opposite in that and and those maps too zach as we talked about too are we still have september to go and i'm still thinking that we might have a a tropical storm or maybe two influence the southwest and i would expect that that would impact precip totals across arizona more than they would new mexico as well yeah and that 97 and that 97 year merging el nino like you said we we've, we've got one now which we'll talk about in a little a little bit that tends to boost the chances of hurricane activity in the East Pacific. So that, that would sort of align. I mean, I'm looking at 97, um, 97 was okay for central New Mexico and Northwestern New Mexico, you know, 90. And then, so that might be a, a different thing. Like I, yeah. I worry about New Mexico, you know, in September as well. You mentioned before actually, prior to us getting on here that you thought New Mexico was going to struggle no matter what. And curious, maybe you could, that might be where the, the analog breaks down, but then again, it's, it's pretty difficult yeah. to find an analog that's one year that's going to work for, uh, for, for, for every place. But I'm, I'm curious why you think um, New Mexico might struggle more so than Arizona. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the position of the high has been, it's been unfavorable, unfavorable for the Southwest, but especially for, for New Mexico. And one of the things that we've seen is that the position of the high has led to um, 
really quite low uh, dew points or precipitable water moisture levels in much of New Mexico. And that it's, you know, being underneath the high, there's lots of subsidence, there's a drying aspect too. But, but, but if you look upstream, it's been very hot and very dry in Texas as well. And there's not been a lot of opportunity to get deep Gulf of Mexico moisture up into Mexico. So, you know, the best opportunity was when Tropical Storm Harold made its trek all the way across into um, southern New Mexico and then wound its way up through the Four Corners, which actually was a pretty helpful event for a lot of those locations to pick up some precip. Didn't heal the, much of the monsoon season. But, you know, if we get the ridge kind of slacking off, sinking, um, settling over New Mexico in September, and then it, you know, fully retreats into Mexico by the end of September. That's just not much opportunity for um, new moisture coming up. You know, like if we had a, a good run where we got a recurving, the high maybe settled further to the east or, or moved to the north again, which is kind of unlikely, and we got a recurving tropical storm, you could envision that a storm could actually move across Arizona into Mexico and produce a good rainer event. Yeah. And um, I mean, and those those happen in September. You know, we've had some record rains that have moved all the way up into Cal up into Colorado that have flooded out Colorado. Yeah, more so western these storms. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, not not the eastern um kind of Great Plains part of it, but but western New Mexico could benefit from a recurving event. We all could at this point. Yeah. So before we get into the tropical storms, because I think that's going to be a key question when we think about, you know, the final, you know, stage of our of our monsoon season, you know, it's it's important that we, I think we spent a little bit of time talking about Hillary because it was such a rare event, you know, and uh, it was a rare event. Um, we, we don't often receive tropical storm strength storms that actually strike land. Um, usually they've decayed. So they're weaker uh, than that. I believe Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, that the last time that a tropical storm strength system impacted California was like 85 years ago. Yeah, um, that's my understanding was in the 30s as well, right? Yeah, so something like that. And the reason is there's a couple couple reasons. One it's it's that easterly flow like the as these tropical cyclones they move from let's say off the coast of of of, of Mexico northward like off, you know, the coast of Baja and then you know, they, they're under easterly flow, so they're being pushed out toward uh, the west. Um, so that's one reason. The other reason is because uh, just by way of the ocean currents, the sea surface temperatures off the west coast, California, Baja, tend to be cool. And so that sort of uh, works against um, the strength of the hurricanes and helps dissipate that energy and, 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 uh, and mo moderate the strength there. This case, in this particular event, it was actually kind of interesting how it was set up. There was still that cool water. Um, that that wasn't different. But there was a trough off there or, or low pressure system, a different low pressure system off the coast of California. And that was sort of, you know, if, if you think about, you know, count, like just circle your hand around, you know, counterclockwise, right? Um, that's the sort of movement of air. Whereas to, to the east, there was a big high pressure system uh, set up over sort of the continental U.S., the interior of the U.S. And that's going like, 
Wait, clockwise. did I say yeah, clockwise. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Yep. Did I say it right for the low pressure? Uh, counterclockwise anyway, the low pressure is going counterclockwise and the, yep, yep. the high pressure is going clockwise, right? And there, and consequently, as that tropical storm, uh, Hillary was moving north, it was entrained in both those flow uh, that those flows that was sort of funneled up northeast. Um, and so it was the right sort of um, regional atmospheric pattern that set up that actually like kind of created the pathway that 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 doorway for uh, Hillary to move into the into California and you know actually went all the way up the remnants of it went all the way up to the border with uh, California I mean there was rec daily record rainfall events I believe all the way up into Idaho for the most part um any thoughts on I mean it was just a it was just sort of a a, a rare system that was that that was present yeah no it's actually it's spot on with the um do you, we were talking about this earlier, if you go back, you take the weather maps prior to Hillary's formation, you'll you'll see that cutoff low, actually a closed low as, as Hillary approached, set up a week and a half prior to the event. And so and it's actually part of the whole story of the monsoon of this summer is that there's been a pretty active um, mid-latitude jet stream. It's really kind of beat up. The monsoon ridge it's pushed it around shoved it around pushed it to the to the south pushed it overhead here and that's been unfavorable for us it's led to actually quite a seasonable if not pleasant conditions across much of northern california in the in the pacific northwest they've had a couple of heat spells but largely have been in these like cool air masses flowing in off the pacific so it's you know no like epic heat waves or anything like that really to speak of where it's really been centered down here because we've been underneath that high but one of those low pressure systems that was is a trough of low pressure system mid-level it dropped off one of these low pressure systems that broke off of the main flow and then it got stuck off the california coast for like a week and a half and so as hillary formed and it approached that low pressure system just like you said where the two gears guided it but also really helped it move quickly to the north and absorbed that circulation center. So it was a, a bunch of extra energy to pull it north quickly, guide it into Southern California, and then give it a little boost of energy that you wouldn't normally see in every year, you know, because that track of storms is not particularly unusual on the on the west side of Baja. But but like you said, they they'll run out of energy. They'll often uh, get pulled to the east, um, you know, it through northern Mexico, depending on the high position, or they'll get pulled up through Arizona and quickly get torn apart and they don't do much. So yeah, it was it was a really unusual event. Lots of um, access to moisture, even up the Gulf of California. And that, that's what led to the, you know, the, the precip events that they weren't super epic in western Arizona and even up through Las Vegas, but they were enough, they were unusual amounts of, of rainfall and did cause some flash flooding. There were some the places that got hardest hit were the San Bernardino uh, mountains, where there were some locations that got eight, nine, ten inches of rain in real small watersheds, and just totally uh, just a lot blasted of flooding. those. Look, yep. yeah, a lot of a lot of flooding and landslides. Yeah. Okay. So I I think you know we've talked about this before. Thinking about uh, you know September and its contributions to the monsoon is probably not going to change the story. I'd be surprised uh, if 
you know, that those maps that we were alluding to before, you know, flip the their signs and go all positive, right? Like that's likely not going to happen. But certainly there is chances for, you know, September to be uh, a relatively active month in terms of tropical and being assisted by tropical yeah. uh, cyclone activity. So I just wanted to dive a little bit. Will, I'll, I'll dive. Well, I just want to say real quick, Zach, it's not it's not unheard of that September is a game changer for monsoon season totals. So, I mean, it really could happen. It's not the way you want to do a monsoon, but it's definitely, definitely possible with a couple of well-timed, well-placed, um, you know, tropical storms can, can dump pretty epic amounts of rain, you know, like locations like the, the lower, uh, lower desert areas of, of Arizona, if they got three or four inches in an event, that would completely change the sign of the anomalies uh, across that area. No, that's a good point. And it, it just goes to show you that we're, we're, we're just talking with, we're just talking about small totals. We're talking about small, that's right. Yeah, and these storms exactly. can pack a, a pretty big, big punch. So it is, it is possible. Let me, let me throw some, uh, let me throw some, information at people because I uh, spent a little bit of time reading a paper uh, from 2009, still relevant today though. And it's, it's, it's title is the contribution of Eastern North Pacific tropical cyclones to the rainfall climatology of the Southwest United States. And it's uh, again, published in 2009. Lead author was Kristen Corbassiero, uh, Michael Dickinson and, and Lance Bossart. So um I I just pulled out a, a couple bullet points because I think it's I think this is just interesting information when we think about September and tropical cyclones. Okay, so they're looking at a 45-year period. And in that period, uh they documented that 35 tropical cyclones and their remnants were found to bring significant rainfall to the southwest US. And that represented about 10% of the total number of tropical cyclones that formed in the East Pacific. So 10% of these that actually do form have historically in their, in their period uh, recurved into, into the US. So obviously the month of September was the most common time for these tropical cyclone, uh, for the tropical cyclone rainfall to occur. You know, on average, the contribution of tropical cyclones to the monsoon precipitation, it increased from the East to the West so about 5%, its contribution was about 5% in New Mexico, all the way to 20% in Southern California and Northern Baja. And individual storms, to your point a minute ago, individual storms can account for as much as close to, you know, one, 95% of the summer rainfall. So close to, you know, 100% of the total rainfall can be, can come uh, in these tropical cyclones. There's sort of, when you look at the patterns of rainfall, and the patterns of these tropical uh, storms, uh, there's sort of three distinct patterns. There's like this northward track that goes from the Eastern Pacific through Southern California, Nevada, very similar to, to Hillary, if you will. There's a more interior track, which um, strikes uh, Arizona and, and Northwestern New Mexico, all the way up into Colorado, Southwestern Colorado. And then there's more of this broad precipitation pattern that's that affects the entire region and it's sort of characterized by the higher elevations are, are those areas that are most affected. And then the final thing, maybe this is too much, but I want to 
I want to just think about, we always think about like patterns. What's, what are the patterns that are set up? So the patterns that are, are driving these, these trajectories. So for the first one where you have this Northern pathway through Southern California, Nevada, it's affected. You can think of Hillary's sort of setup that we talked about a minute ago as, as, as being the, the, the analog here. It, there's like a large cutoff low um, off the coast of, 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 of California. And, you know, that's helping to, to cycle it upwards. Another, the, the Arizona, New Mexico pathway is more affected by these mid-latitude troughs that kind of wander through the, uh, the region across the intermontane West that can help bring up uh, the tropical storms. Uh, and then, you know, the, the final pattern might be where there's no, there's sort of the tropical cyclone is um, just pushing moisture up. It's not being steered uh, by any um, regional feature. It's just sort of wandering its way, way up there and it's less coherently organized. So um, I think, you know, the bigger picture is, you know, as we, we think about September, on average, we get about six named storms that uh, occur in the uh, Eastern Pacific. So of those, we might see, you know, on average, one or a little bit less than one. So we have a chance, like it'd be really rare for two or three, I think, to uh, uh, wander in our region just based on historical statistics, but it is possible. Um, I don't know, Mike, thoughts on thoughts on September? I I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. I think that the, there's still warm water off the East Pacific coast. I think it's going to be if the upper level patterns are favorable in, in an El Nino year, in an El Nino kind of uh, beginning of fall, they certainly are for tropical storm development. So I, I think that we can't take that off the plate yet. And if we look to the not um, too distant past, we've had some pretty epic Septembers with El Nino events. It could even be that a year from now, if the El Nino conditions have hung on and are kind of still there, that a year from September is another kind of like 2015 uh, type September where we had some pretty epic rains across Arizona. Yeah, so on average, you know, 15 name storms happen in the East Pacific. We've had, uh, let's see, we've had nine to date. Um, actually, we're following very similar to the climatological average. So on average, like nine happened before September 1, which is basically what's happened this year. And then six happen following. So like I said, we're, we're, there's still quite a bit of activity remaining. In fact, September is the the most frequent month uh, for for East Pacific, East Pacific tropic, tropical storms. So yeah, let's see uh, where, where, where things can go. Do you think there is, given the, the way that the high pressure system has looked so far that that might suggests that, uh, you know, because it's been maybe a little bit further south than we otherwise would think that there's, it's less, actually, it's more likely that we would get some recurving storms in, in, in that sort of situation. 
Yeah, I think that I think that actually the the position of the high is in a better spot for recurving than it is. Um, if the high were, you know, over the four corners and it was hanging out there into September, that actually steers the storms out into the Pacific rather than pulling them up our way. If if we transition into a fall pattern, which gosh, we've been on the edge of it all summer, uh, more quickly, then you get into this sort of what we call transition type events. And so that's where there's troughs off to the west, highs off to the east. And like you said, with the gears, we're funneling up those recurving storms into the southwest. All right. So what do you think then? Putting you on the spot. September. Give me September. Give me give me well, some optimism <laughs> from you know the typical, you know, pessimistic Mike. Well, it's sad because in my monsoon fantasy, which I am doing worse than I think any year that I've done so far, I actually went with below, I think I went with below median with all of the, all the stations just based on a persistence forecast. I wasn't going to go out. I, I just couldn't go out on the limb and say like, well, how do you bet you on, on like a one and, you know, I mean, it's unlikely. That's it. Right? No, it's unlikely. unlikely. I mean, it's like high risk, high reward type of, you know, and I, I could have thrown it in there for like Phoenix just to try it out, but I, I just, I didn't. And I actually went with below median, you know, it's just like, unfortunately that the chances are that we just whimper out of the monsoon <laughs> and we start looking towards the winter, but the, I really, I do think the best chance is one or maybe two tropical storms um, set us up for some locally heavy rain. You know, if there was a year, this would be it. It is. It, I, I agree. I totally agree that the conditions are right. And so that's, that's why I hang that out there a little bit. All right. So you're you're betting on below and you're hoping for above. I mean, I think that's your general position. <laughs> that's my position in life. <laughs> it's just <laughs> in general. What about, what about the winner as a prelude for our next podcast? Give me the winter. Yeah. Yeah. That's ah, uh, so this this El Nino is not setting up like 2015, 2016, the, the one that you and I, I, I'll take more response. The one I hyped, like I was the hype man for that, that El Nino. This one seems a little more like the classic East Pacific. And so those types of events have led to pretty wet conditions for the Southwest. So I'm optimistic that maybe the core of the winter, we actually get a pretty solid winter out of this That'd dude fantastic. it's i mean there it would be but it's yeah i'm so like uh i don't know about this el nino thing anymore though <laughs> yeah um i mean it, the expectation actually it's the the statistics have uh, the probabilities have in, increased for it's a strong event is more likely now i think you know it's two-thirds there, chance of a of two-thirds a, a, chance which yeah, is it's up to 66 percent up for I, I think a strong yeah yeah December, yeah, January, there, and February. There's a, like a close to 100% chance of an El Nino event. And then like a 66% chance that it's a strong, you know, at, at levels of like 97, 98. And, you know, I, I look to, to fall winter of 2009 to 2010, which was a moderate El Nino event. And that that did some pretty good work for Arizona and New Mexico with, with snow and flooding and all sorts of, of interesting weather. Uh, across the Southwest. So I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking this could be another interesting winter in a, in a wet 
hydroclimatic way rather than a boring dry way. We'll say though, um, for your September, just looking at the models, um, most of them are calling for a, a, a dry September. Um, there is, there <laughs> is know. one exception. The NCARS model is, it has a nice above average bullseye over all of Arizona. So there is some variability in these models, but uh, all the other ones are either um, sort of right around average or have a dry signal. So, so well, uh, you know, they can't, they can't properly account for these, you know, unlikely events. No. Yeah, so, so the, the CPC climate prediction center one month outlook for September actually is got the same thinking that I do. And they, they put an above average 33% to 40% shift in odds over Northwest Arizona, but then kept New Mexico below. Well, so that's it's like, interesting. So I wonder, yeah, I wonder they're what they're doing. Tropics. tropics. I wonder what they're going to, to totally. Yeah, it's totally what I was talking about. I, I bet if you look in the discussion, I bet it's, I bet it's that same that same thinking. It's probably wrong thinking, but I bet I, I bet I can relate to it anyway. But I'm looking at the North American multi-model ensemble forecast page, right? And so the well, average, the NMM, yeah, the NMME will never pick up on, you know, one or two tropical storms. They probably won't even. They probably don't spin up tropical yeah. storms. So yeah. Yeah. the the CPC outlook is a is a person saying, you know what. <laughs> did did the reasoning that we just went through that's why all right yeah we'll see <laughs> all right any final parting shots no i hope you get a double punch storm one more time <laughs> that would be amazing back. yeah I, yeah you think could it be tonight i i'm actually i'm kind of i'm kind of excited for the southwest this uh arizona is a pretty good chance of some widespread rain in the next couple of days. I don't think it's less so in New Mexico, but this looks like a pretty decent transition type event again. So, well, I hope uh, yeah. I, I hope the next couple of days don't uh, uh, null and void everything that we talked about today. <laughs> it always happens. So, you know, check the freshness date on your podcast. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us, and thank you, Mike and and Stacy Reese for uh, producing this. And uh, yeah, always fun. Absolutely. Thanks, everyone.